This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. It's still Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Our tree is still up, and it's only partially because I am so swamped that I haven't had the time to take it down. The The other part of it is that we celebrate Christmas all the way through to the Epiphany. Now you're saying, wait a second, uh, we've, we've finished Epiphany. We celebrated Epiphany last Sunday. Uh, and traditionally, the day of Epiphany is on the 6th. That's where we get the 12 days of Christmas from, um, from Christmas to Epiphany. But we, in recent years, um, have extended the celebration of the Epiphany by breaking out some of the mysteries that are traditionally celebrated and giving the baptism of the Lord its own day. Most years, that means that we celebrate it on the Sunday after Epiphany. There is a scenario when Epiphany falls late because we transfer it to a Sunday, uh, where if it falls late enough, then we'll celebrate the baptism, I think, on the Monday following. But that's not this year. This year, we celebrate it on January 9th. We're going to have uh, our readings all about the baptism when you go to Mass. But the baptism of the Lord is one epiphany. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ uh, in the fullness of who he was. So you know the story, Jesus is baptized, John the Baptist doesn't want to do it, uh, and and yet Jesus insists. And so Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. As he comes up out of the water, there's a voice that's heard that speaks, uh, Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, and a voice proclaims, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right. So here we have it. Uh, the re- God reveals through the descent of the Holy Spirit and through the voice that Jesus is more than just another guy, right? Here we have the revelation of the divinity of God. So that's one. The other epiphany that we're really, really used to thinking about, because it's the one that's most commonly celebrated on the 6th, is the uh, the arrival of the Magi, the adoration of the Magi, who come and and approach Jesus where he is, uh, the scriptures say, in the house, and they bring him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, And this is a day that we celebrate in a number of different ways, depending on your culture. Uh, Some cultures, this is the day that they open presents because the kings, the three kings, brought the presents to the child Jesus. Uh, Some, we, what we do in our house is we write the, the little message the code, the secret code over the door to the house in chalk. Uh, this year, it's, of course, 20 plus C plus M plus B plus 22. Right? you got 2022 written in, and then with a C and B in the middle, which are the names, the traditional names of the three kings. And it also is uh, an, uh, an acronym for the phrase in Latin, Christ bless this home. So we have the home blessing, just as the the Magi came and approached the child Jesus in his home and blessed him with the gifts and then, of course, went on their way. That was another revelation of Jesus Christ as, as he is revealed through their gifts, through the, first through the star, right? First through the star revealed to the Magi as being more than just another guy. But then through their gifts revealed to us to be something a little bit more um, in the gold, of course, for his divinity, in the frankincense, uh, for 
uh, rather the gold for his kingship, the frankincense for his divinity, and the myrrh for his sacrificial death. These Each of these gifts had a purpose and a reason, and they spoke to something prophetically. And so that was a revelation, an epiphany, a revealing of who Jesus was. And then the third traditional um, thing that we celebrate, the third epiphany that we celebrate on the epiphany, is the wedding at Cana, where Jesus performed his first miracle and turned the water into wine. So here Christ is revealing again, and for the first time uh, as an adult, as he begins his ministry, this is not just an ordinary person. So Christ is revealed in these three ways uh, that we traditionally celebrate on the Feast of Epiphany. We've broken that out, so now we celebrate Epiphany and we typically look at the Magi, and then we also celebrate the baptism of the Lord. All of this is a very long way, a five-minute way to say we continue to celebrate Christmas in the church all the way through to the baptism of the Lord. And then after that, immediately following the baptism of the Lord, you're going to see the colors are going to change. We're going to go back to green. We're going to re-enter ordinary time and stay there all the way into very early March as we get to, uh, at that point, the, the season of Lent. So here we are nestled in between um, the celebration of Epiphany and the celebration of the baptism of the Lord, which used to be one feast, and we've kind of split them out and separated so that we could focus on each mystery a little bit more. Uh, But I've been thinking and meditating and praying on the ways that Christ chooses to reveal himself, both in Scripture, but also today. And I've been thinking about this primarily because there's a person that I uh, have been talking with and praying for who's going through a very difficult time right now, and it's a very frightening time for them. And it's a uh, the kind of time that I can identify with because difficult things happen in life, and you have to, sometimes you don't see the end of it. You think that you're going to be swallowed up by it. But the truth of the matter is God is present and caring for us in the midst of our darkest places. We see this in um, the, the 23rd Psalm where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We see this uh, in the Exodus as the children of Israel are wandering in the desert, but they are being led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, which is the presence of God ever with them, even in the midst of their exile, of their darkness, of everything else. And so I, I have a very strong connection and and desire to intercede for those and to encourage those who are in the midst of that kind of a time, because I've walked through that myself and seen the faithfulness of God. And so as I'm praying and, and meditating on how Christ reveals himself, asking that God would reveal his presence to this person in the midst of their turmoil, uh, this kind of epiphany, if I might, uh, dropped into my mind. And I shared this with that person, and now I share it with you. Christ, in the mystery of the Epiphany, chooses to reveal himself in vulnerability, in humility, and in obedience. With those three stories we see, first, he reveals himself in humility as a small child, where the the Magi come anywhere between, the the scripture's not entirely clear, anywhere between an infant and a two-year-old, uh, we know that there's a little bit of distance between the Luke account where the shepherds come and see Christ laying in a manger 
and the the Matthew account where the wise men come to the home and see the child and they share with Herod when the star first appeared and that's why he had the um, all of the children, all the male children up to two years of age uh, in the city of Bethlehem killed. We don't know where in that time frame uh, they appeared, but it could be as much as two years old. All that to say, uh, Christ is revealed by the visit of the Magi, by their gifts, and to the Magi as a small child who had to flee with his parents for their lives to another, uh, to, to Egypt, right? So here you have Christ appearing in vulnerability. The second mystery, this mystery of, of the baptism of the Lord, we see Christ appearing and being made known, being revealed in humility. Here he comes and, and chooses to be baptized by John, who tries to say, no, 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 you, I should be baptized by you. And he submits and he, and he humbles himself and says, no, 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 I want you to baptize me. So here we have Christ being baptized, and there's a lot to this mystery that we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, but we see Christ revealing himself in humility and hearing, receiving the, the Spirit coming down from heaven, receiving the voice of the Father. And then lastly, at the wedding at Cana, we see Christ revealed in obedience because his mother comes to him and says, they have no wine. And he says, yes, I, in a way he says, yes, I know. But what he says is, okay, what does that have to, what does that have to do with me? And she kind of gives him probably a knowing nod. Uh, and he says to her, woman, my time has not yet come. Now, uh, he's not being, you know, sarcastic or snippy or, you know, snapping his finger three times saying woman. Uh, he is calling and alluding back to uh, Eve, who is also called woman. Uh, and then he says, my time has not yet come. That language is always referring to his passion. And so Mary hears this warning, if, if this mystery, if this miracle happens, if he does what I ask him to do, uh, then that's going to start us on the path towards the hour. I had a great conversation with this, about this topic a few years back with Joe Heschmeyer. You can find that in the archives by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, clicking Joe Heschmeyer's name, scrolling back, uh, I think, until you find a title that looks somewhat familiar to the baptism of the Lord. It's a worthy conversation. Uh, but it's we covered it there, so I'm not going to recover it here. What happens next is that Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And they look to Jesus, and then Jesus tells them to go fill the jars and then performs the miracle. She didn't directly say, Jesus, you have to do this, right? And yet, he knew his mother's heart. He saw again her fiat saying, let this be done to me also according to the will of God. Go and start this ministry, uh, even though it ends in your hour. Um, but he could have said nothing to the servants if he didn't, or, or he could have said, uh, just let it be and leave it alone, do whatever he tells you, right? So he, in this way, submitted to his mother and gave a kind of obedience that might not have been the first thought of his mind. So here Christ is revealed in humility, 
in vulnerability and humility and in obedience. And I got to thinking about that, and I think pretty firmly that Christ still chooses to reveal himself in vulnerability, in humility, and obedience. And when we find ourselves in those places, faced with those choices of how we're going to respond to the world that's around us, I believe that we encounter the presence of the living God. I believe that Christ is revealed present with us when we choose to walk in that same way, when we choose vulnerability over defensiveness, when we choose humility over pride, and when we choose obedience over dissent. When we do those things, of course, obeying the the appropriate authority, right? When we do those things, Christ makes himself manifest to us. He reveals himself to us in those dark, difficult places. But even more than this, I'm convinced that Christ not only reveals himself to us in those places, but that when we choose to walk in vulnerability, in humility, and in obedience, Christ chooses to reveal himself to the world. So when the Magi came, when they came and they offered their gifts, first of all, Christ was revealed to them by means of the star. But now Christ is revealed to the rest of us by their obedience, by their humility, by them coming and kneeling down and worshiping and offering these gifts. Now Christ is revealed to the rest of us. And so the same, I think, is true as we come to a place where we humble ourselves and kneel down before the manger throne of God. When we kneel down before uh, Christ in, in his home and offer him the gifts that we have to offer in vulnerability, humility, and obedience, then Christ is made manifest and known to those who see us. So here is this um, this great mystery. We very much are uncomfortable with vulnerability. We are uncomfortable with humility, just as a part of our human nature. We are uncomfortable with obedience. We like to have this self-actualization uh, as, as kind of center to who we are. There's this, this natural drive to not be under anyone's boot. And Christ calls us into uncomfortable places. We don't like to be there, but we're called to be there for one, for our own sake, because it's in those uncomfortable places where we choose to be vulnerable. We choose to be humble. We choose to obey. In those places, Christ is made known to us. He walks with us. He shows us his sufficiency in those places. And not only do we become aware of the presence and the provision of God, but God is made known to others as well. There's an example of this, uh, a type of this in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, we see the story of Gideon. And God comes to Gideon and tells him that he wants to deliver the people of Israel. And uh, Gideon is not necessarily thrilled with that idea. And he puts up a couple of tests uh, to, to see if this is really God. And of course, God being God 
answers those tests. And so once Gideon is convinced, okay, this is God that's talking to me, I can't get out of it, um, then God tells him, all right, first of all, I want you to gather all the people uh, who are, are of age to be warriors and, and gather them together. So he did, and he had a number that was not sufficient for the task at hand, and he was absolutely terrified by this. And so God takes it a step further and says, well, what we need to do now is make the number smaller. There's too many people here. Uh, and so we're going to split them into two groups. The two groups come out wildly um, different, uh, you know, like 90-10 kind of different. Um, and so he's thinking, all right, well, um, great, I didn't lose all that many. And it's no, 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 no. The small number is the number you get. So here... Uh, here Gideon has 300 people that he's able to go into battle uh, against this enemy. And he's thinking, oh, well, um, I mean, what are we going to do here? Let's try to get the best strategy we can to go and attack them. And, and God said, well, you know, I have a different idea. I want you to get ram's horns and clay pots and torches. And that's what you're going to attack them with. Uh, and so here, here is Gideon vulnerable 300 people to defend the nation of Israel, uh, truly humbled as every idea that he has is changed and corrected by God. Uh, and now he's going to be obedient. And in these three things, God comes and delivers the people of Israel, reveals himself to be sufficient for them. Uh, and so they, they go and they surround the whole camp of the enemy. They put the, tor the, the torches underneath the jars. They break the jars. There's this huge clanging sound. They blow the trumpets. They cry aloud uh, the battle cry that God has given them. And the enemy fights themselves and scatters. So two things happen here. One, in vulnerability, humility, and obedience, God reveals himself to be sufficient for the people of Israel. And... God reveals himself as sufficient to protect the people of Israel to the others, right? God is revealed not only to the people of Israel, but also to those who are outside. Now, again, this is a type. This is not the way that God reveals himself through us to others. Now, uh, there's, it's a little different, but the type is the same. And we see that same thing uh, come to pass for us when we approach these difficult situations of our life, uh, for, of course, in this story, that's the deliverance of the people of Israel. For us, we need to be delivered as well. We need to see the saving power of God, whether it be in our individual lives, whether it be our interior life, whether it be our external situations. Each of us need to see the deliverance and the presence and the sufficiency of God and he comes and he reveals himself. He gives us an epiphany of his presence when we, like Gideon, like these stories, like Christ himself, choose to live in vulnerability and humility and then obedience. Now, the difficulty in all of this is that these three things run contrary to our uh, at least our culture, but I think also to our nature. The idea of being vulnerable flies in the face of every instinct we have. Uh, 
we do everything we can to protect ourselves, to, to remove threats and vulnerability. And yet we're asked to, to enter into that vulnerability, to allow Christ to be our, our defender and our sufficiency. And a part of that is because as long as we think that we are capable of protecting ourselves, uh, then we don't give credit to God for his saving power. So you go back to the story of Gideon. Um, Gideon started with a number, uh, I think it was 32,000 men. And that number was far too small to defeat the enemy, but large enough that they could say, well, we did a really good job today. I mean, wow, look at what we pulled off. Uh, And God had to bring them to a place where it became absolutely, completely obvious that the only way they survived was by the providential hand of God. And as long as we have this kind of self-preservation instinct that we that we follow and that we, you know, try to surround ourselves and make ourselves look big and whatever else that however else that might manifest itself. Um, as long as we are avoiding vulnerability, we can always look and say, well, man, that was a tough battle, but well, we really pulled it off, didn't we? That we we dodged a bullet on that. But God wants us to, in our victories, to be able to look and say, the only way I made it through that was by the hand of God. And and that does a couple of things. One, it really reinforces our own faith. But two, it gives us the ability to proclaim the faithfulness and the sufficiency of God. I mentioned earlier that I have gone through the ringer myself. I've gone through these dark times. It's one of the reasons that I am uh, drawn to pray for those going through difficulty because I have walked through that difficulty. And I can only say with, with a, a certitude that God delivered me and was faithful in every single moment and every single struggle because I had to walk through those difficulties and struggles and watch him do what I could not do over and over and over again, because God likes to drive the message home. Now, I didn't walk through this by myself. Um, I've been through a a number of times in my life where, uh, whether through reasons of unemployment or entrepreneurship or whatever the case may be, my income was very low. Uh, And through all of those times, God was abundantly faithful. Uh, and, and he didn't have to be, right? He was because he is. And I want to tell you one of those stories here today and to, to keep me on my toes and to keep me to honest, I, I have here in the studio with me, my darling bride. Thank you, Kristen, for being with us. Of course, love. Hello, everybody. So the one that I'm primarily thinking of and the one that I want to talk about today is the time that you and I decided, 11 years ago, to become Catholic. Uh, okay. We came into the church in 2011 together. Mm-hmm. Um, those that, that story has been well recounted on The Journey Home. There's two episodes you can find on YouTube um, with with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Great program. Um, and, and I shared that story of us coming into the church. Uh, but there's one thing that just kind of always sticks out. Uh, I was working in Protestant ministry uh, and had been doing that for a number of years and just felt continually this, this 
draw towards the Catholic Church to the point where it was really no longer uh, possible to ignore. And so we're sitting, uh, it just so <laughs> happened that the way that it's framed is perfect, right? You know, God sent a tornado. <laughs> Literally. Literally. A, a literal tornado. <laughs> so the, there's a tornado uh, warning. We're sitting in the little closet underneath our stairs because it's the most secure place in the whole house. And um, we're sitting there looking at this email thinking, all right, well, I either have to pretend that we're not becoming Catholic or um, or just bite the bullet and go ahead and do it. We've been waiting to find employment to say, all right, here, here's the, the way we're going to support ourselves as Catholics so that I don't have to rely on the salary of the Protestant church anymore so that I can go and make the full break. And we had just kind of been waiting there and sitting there and saying, well, eventually this is going to happen, I'm sure. Uh, and so we were faced with a choice. We either had to make a jump or we had to um, not exactly be dishonest, but but halfway. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and, and so um, so we're sitting there thinking, oh, how, how do we do this? Uh, we're waiting on a tornado. We're <laughs> and and trying both, <laughs> really, literally, both literally and figuratively, waiting on this waiting tornado. On this tornado. <laughs> How are we going to move forward with this? What kind of safety and protection can we find? Mm -hmm. And I looked at you and said, "What do we do?" And we kind of together said, <laughs> "You looked at me. I don't know. What do, I don't what, know. What, what, what do you think <laughs> we should do?" And I, I said, "Well, I." I I think we should jump mm -hmm. and you kind of nodded and here was this decision made. We are going to be vulnerable. We're going to mm -hmm. allow our, I mean, truly like out in the open, vulnerable, no safety net, uh, right? like walking outside in the middle of the tornado instead of hiding under the stairs. <laughs> we did not do that literally just, for, just figuratively. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so here we're going to, we're going to make this jump. We're going to be, vulnerable we're going to be humble and we're going to be obedient to this voice and this call that's drawing us into the catholic church and we did and we mm -hmm. like all right god be faithful let's give us that job that we just uh, applied for and nope nope <laughs> eight months of unemployment but during those eight months god provided miraculously mm. over and over and over again just what we needed when we needed and not a second before. earlier and not a cent more but every time he proved himself to be faithful and i recount that story over and over and over again to say that god will be faithful to you because he has been faithful to us he proves himself faithful when we choose to walk in vulnerability humility and obedience we're talking today, uh, celebrating the uh, the baptism of the Lord and epiphany and all of this stuff together as God reveals himself to us. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how God reveals himself to others when we make that bold choice to walk in vulnerability, humility, and obedience. Don't go anywhere. There's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and we are here celebrating the epiphany of the Lord in an extended kind of a way, as tomorrow we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, which is the second mystery that used to be associated with the epiphany until we kind of broke it out. And that's a long story that we've already gone into in the first segment. If you missed that, uh, have no fear. You can go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Listen to the first half. Share it with your friends on social media. Do whatever you want there. Uh, go and listen to your heart's content. So today we're examining the ways in which Christ chooses to reveal himself, both in Scripture and in the continuation of his presence with us, right? God is still making himself known to us. And so we looked at the three mysteries traditionally associated with Epiphany in the first segment, talking about uh, how Christ reveals himself in vulnerability as an as a young toddler slash infant uh, to the Magi, how he reveals himself in humility through choosing to humble himself and be baptized by John the Baptist, and how he chooses to reveal himself in obedience as he does what his mother wants him to do at the wedding at Cana, where he changes the water into wine and begins his earthly ministry. So looking at those three um mysteries that are traditionally celebrated at Epiphany, we're kind of breaking out and looking at the ways he continues to make himself known in our lives today. And uh, I'm convinced, I, I said I was talking to this friend of mine who's going through a difficult time, I'm convinced that God still reveals himself to us, that Christ still makes himself known in places of vulnerability, humility, and obedience. And not only does he choose to make himself known there, I'm convinced that this is the only place he makes himself known. He makes himself known to us, and, and what I want to talk about in this part of the show, he makes himself known to others. I'm very interested in the topic of evangelization. Uh, it's one of the primary things that I want to talk about here on this show, because this is a show, as we say in the beginning, for missionary disciples, helping us live our lives, uh, not only living the sacramental life, but living a, an evangelical life, living a life that draws other people and into relationship with Christ through our action and through the proclamation of the gospel. So that being the case, if Christ reveals himself to others through our vulnerability, humility, and obedience, which I'm convinced that he does, then this is also a topic not only of God's providence, but of evangelization, and the one that I want to talk about today. Um, I follow a number of people. I'm part of an online uh, Facebook group for the Forming Intentional Disciples group. First, that's a book by Sherry Waddell. It's fantastic. You should read it. You should join the Facebook group. Be a part of that conversation. I also follow on social media all the folks from the, the St. Paul Street Evangelization crew, a uh, whole bunch of other people that are out there actively often engaged in the work of evangelization. And there's a couple of things that have come out of some of the people at St. Paul Street Evangelization that just really kind of strike a chord with me. And the first one is this. I've seen it on social media a few times as he reiterates this message. We have to stop being shocked by sin. Not now, hold on, wait for a second. Not necessarily our own. We should be shocked by our own sin. Our conscience, as we form it, will draw us into a place where we are shocked by the things that we continue to do. And like Paul, we can say, as he says in Romans 7, 
Um, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. Who will save me from this body of death? And of course, we're given those sacramental graces as we find ourselves shocked by our own sin, drawn back into relationship with him through the sacrament of confession. That's not what I'm talking about. We have to quit being shocked by sin, by people who are not in relationship with God. Because we spend so much time being shocked and telegraphing that shock that we we don't give them an opportunity to encounter the epiphany, the revelation of who Jesus is. It becomes uh, a place of finger pointing and not invitation. Uh, this is a much longer conversation than we have the time to break into here, but I, I plan to extend this conversation here in the near future. But for today's purposes, the question is this. For that person who has not yet had an epiphany of who Christ is in a way that is life-changing for that person, what are they going to encounter as their first impression or their deep impression of Christianity, of Catholicism? Are they going to be invited into this relationship with God, or are they going to see us instead in all of our imperfections and all of our judgment? This is a, a, a tricky thing because there is nuance, there is different levels of relationship, there is a place for accountability, but is it the first encounter that person should have with, with Christianity, with these people who claim to, to be part of the family of God, to be empowered by God's love? Now, the second phrase that's come across my feed recently that I'm, I'm intrigued by, and I'm not 100% sure I agree with it, but it's thought-provoking, and so I'm going to throw it at you and let it provoke you as well. Uh, one of the people that I follow on Facebook who is deep into evangelization, I don't remember precisely who it was, uh, said, there's no such thing really as nuns, as those people who say when asked what their re religious affiliation is, that they have no religious affiliation. And he means this to be a provocative statement. He says, there's really no such thing as nuns. There's only seekers, and I'm going to paraphrase here, uh, who have not yet experienced the epiphany of the Lord's presence, of who God is. Um, and, and so this is a this is a provocative statement, and it's probably not 100% accurate, but it's accurate enough that we ought to spend some time with it. There's a lot of people out there who have not had an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. They have not had God revealed to them in Christ. And our first concern ought to be, how can we help facilitate that meeting? How can we, through our actions, uh, make it more likely and more possible that that person will come to an experience of God's grace? Or at the very least, how can I ensure that I am not a hindrance to that person coming to an encounter and an experience of God's grace? And so here I return to my contention that in the Epiphany, as we celebrate it, uh, and today in continued epiphanies, Christ is revealed in places of vulnerability, of humility, and of obedience. So we have to examine ourselves. 
How are we presenting ourselves as ambassadors of Christ? How are we presenting Christianity? How are we presenting God's presence in the world today? If we are responding in defensiveness, in uh, in pride, or in contentiousness, we are blocking the epiphany of God to that person. Now, God is going to do whatever he is going to do, and he can break in into situations that would otherwise uh, seem out of reach. And yet, he chooses to use us the majority of the time. Uh, in fact, Jesus says uh, in, in the Gospels, he says, look around and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into the field. And so we are, yes, the ones who are praying that the Lord of the harvest will send workers, but we are also the answer to that prayer. So if we are the workers in the field, we have to ensure that we are not trampling the harvest. And so how do we do that? Well, I think that we act with intention to put ourselves in those places, again, of vulnerability, of humility, and of obedience, to examine our consciences, to spend time inviting the Holy Spirit to give us some insight and wisdom, to point out to us the times that we've been defensive instead of vulnerable, to point out the times that we have responded to those around us with pride instead of humility, to look at the times that we have sowed dissension and been uh, been contentious rather than being obedient to the call of God to love one another. And so this is, um, as we're entering into this this new year, entering into this time of New Year's resolutions, a really good opportunity for us to, to double our efforts to say, okay, I'm going to be a missionary disciple. I'm going to be a person who, who represents Christ well, who facilitates opportunities for encounter, who... Um, makes the epiphany of Christ today possible for another person. So what does that look like? I think that we need to ask ourselves how we are presenting the faith, because it's not just the words of the kerygma that Jesus Christ became man, that God became man, dwelt among us, uh, and offered himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins so that we can be back into union with God. I think part of it happens before we ever get to a place where we can say a word. How do we, who are very obviously people of faith, how do we behave when we're not talking about the faith? When we're talking about uh, the weather, when we're driving, when we're talking about politics, when we're on social media just in general, when we're sharing news stories, when we're engaged in conversation outside of these questions of the expression of the gospel, how do we come across? Are we an approachable people who are saturated and and filled with the presence of Christ? Are we a people whose gentleness is known to all? Are we a people who very obviously um, are vulnerable with one another, that we're not constantly uh, on guard against what someone may say or do, that we're not easily offended? Are we a people who boast in nothing but in the cross of Christ? Are we a people who live out a life 
uh, dedicated to the flourishing of others? These are really difficult questions because I don't know that any one of us can say, oh yeah, I, I do that really well. I do all those things really well. No, if we're honest, we know, every one of us, that we still have a ways to go in this regard. So how do we do that? How do we grow in these areas that seem so counter to our own nature, to, the, to, the, <clears throat> to our instinct at the very least? It comes down to this, I think. We have to meditate on these mysteries of the epiphany. Meditate on how Christ revealed himself in Scripture so that we can see and know and understand him better. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it, we look to Christ. We look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. As we fix our gaze on Jesus, all the other things of life, the distractions that can grab our attention, the other gods that are vying for our affection, all of them fade away as we contemplate Christ as he is and as he has revealed himself to be, he will draw us into a place where we become more and more like him. And I think part of us will always have to fight our instinct for, for self-preservation, for defensiveness, for, uh, for pride. I think that there's always going to be a little bit of resistance, but that becomes less and less the more we learn to trust that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. He will be faithful to us in our moments of vulnerability. He's not going to let us be crushed in that way. He's going to be faithful to us in our moments of humility and of obedience, that he is there and meets us there in those places and proves to us uh, and reveals to us more about himself. And in so doing, we come to a place where we can live those out more fully and reflect his goodness to others. So that's my contention. It's that Christ is revealed both in Scripture and today in moments of vulnerability, of humility, and of obedience. So let's take that as the starting point for this discussion, but let's continue it over on social media. You can join the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Maybe you have an example from your own life. Come and share that story with us. Maybe you think you have an exception to my contention. Well, come and tell me what you think it should be. What, how do you experience the presence of God? How has God revealed himself to you? I would love to hear from you. Come be a part of that conversation on social media. Now, if you missed any part of this discussion or you want to go back and listen to it again, make sure you heard it correctly or share it with your friends on social media. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now let's turn to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more by going to Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you the Lord shines, and over you appears his glory. 
Nations shall walk by your light, and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant at what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow. For the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you. The wealth of nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you. Dromedaries from Midian and Ephah. All from Sheba shall come, bearing gold and frankincense, and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60. It's uh, the, the first reading that we heard on the Feast of the Epiphany. Now, this, I think, goes right back to what we've been talking about this whole time. That as Christ is revealed, and we see that reflected in these words, um, upon you appears his glory, right? But on you the Lord shines, and over you appears his glory. As Christ is revealed to us in that way, and as he shines down upon us, the response to that is that we reflect that shining, right? As he shines upon you, nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. This is why we should fix our eyes on Jesus, because we are a mirror that reflects his splendor. And whenever we turn away uh, to the right or to the left or to get covered up with what other stresses the world has to offer, we dirty up the mirror, we turn it away from the source of the light, and it does not reflect as brightly. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus and we contemplate him as he has revealed himself to be, then we reflect his glory all around us, and nations shall walk by our light and kings by our shining radiance. That radiance, of course, is his. It comes from him. It's not anything that we have in and of ourselves. So if we're going to reflect that light, we have to be pointed at him to fix our eyes and our gaze on Christ. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon by St. Leo the Great. And I had a hard time picking today's reading because the the readings in the breviary from the Office of Readings between Epiphany and the Baptism of the Lord are all so rich, and they're all specifically dealing with this topic in various ways. Uh, but I went ahead, and the one I think that most closely aligns with our conversation is this sermon that we read on the Feast of the Epiphany by St. Leo the Great. The loving providence of God determined that in the last days— He would aid the world, set on its course to destruction. He decreed that all nations should be saved in Christ. A promise had been made to the holy patriarch Abraham in regard to these nations. He was to have a countless progeny, born not from his body, but from the seed of faith. His descendants are therefore compared with the array of the stars. The father of all nations was to hope not in an earthly progeny, but in a progeny from above. Let the full number of the nations now take their place in the family of the patriarchs. 
Let the children of the promise now receive the blessing in the seed of Abraham, the blessing renounced by the children of his flesh in the persons of the Magi. Let all people adore the creator of the universe. Let God be known not in Judea only, but in the whole world, so that his name may be great in all Israel. Dear friends, now that we have received instruction in this revelation of God's grace, let us celebrate with spiritual joy the day of our first harvesting, of the first calling of the Gentiles. Let us give thanks to the merciful God, who has made us worthy, in the words of the Apostle, to share the position of the saints in light, who has rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. As Isaiah prophesied, the people of the Gentiles who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who dwelt in the region of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He spoke of them to the Lord. The Gentiles who do not know you will invoke you, and the peoples who knew you not will take refuge in you. This is the day that Abraham saw and rejoiced to see when he knew that the sons born of his faith would be blessed in his seed, that is, in Christ. Believing that he would be the father of the nations, he looked into the future, giving glory to God in full awareness that God is able to do what he has promised. This is the day that David prophesied in the Psalms when he said, All the nations that you have brought into being will come and fall down in adoration in your presence, Lord, and glorify your name. Again, the Lord has made known his salvation. In the sight of the nations, he has revealed his justice. This came to be fulfilled, as we know, from the time when the star beckoned the three wise men out of their distant country and led them to recognize and adore the King of heaven and earth. The obedience of the star calls us to imitate its humble service, to be servants, as best we can, of the grace that invites all men to find Christ. Dear friends, you must have the same zeal to be of help to one another, then, in the kingdom of God, to which faith and good works are the way. You will shine as children of the light through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with God the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. That reading again comes from a sermon by St. Leo the Great, that we read on the Feast of the Epiphany. One of the things that I love about the, the Liturgy of the Hours, the breviary, specifically the Office of Readings, these longer passages that we get from the Fathers and Doctors of the Church, I love that we get served the same readings just about every year. There's some derivation when you've got uh, a major feast day this year that then is covered up by a Sunday the next year. But for the most part, we're getting the same readings every single year. And the reason that I love that so much in this specific context is we have um, 
we have become a culture, I think, that that reads for knowledge, uh, for intellectual knowledge. And so we'll read something once and say, oh, yeah, I read that. I, I've read that before. Um, but we don't sit with things and kind of allow ourselves to marinate in uh, in these truths that are presented. So the church gives us opportunity to really sit with the the, uh, the the doctors and the fathers of the church, and to sit with Scripture as she gives us that that three year cycle of Sunday readings and two year cycle of daily mass readings, so that we hear those same passages over and over, and allow them to wash over us like uh, like waves coming onto the shore. The reason that I love this so much is really precisely because of this shore metaphor. Uh, if we hear something once then then we've heard it and maybe we can recall it to mind and say yeah i think i heard something about that one time but when we hear the readings and read these readings over and over again year after year then we the rock on the shore are shaped and formed by the water that continually comes up and the tide comes in and the tide goes out and the waves wash over us and the water always wins, right? When it comes to a um, a long-term discussion between water and rock, the rock's going to win in the short term. Uh, but long-term, the water is going to wear down the rock. And so we can hear the word of, the, uh, of God once, or we can read one of these passages from the fathers once, and it butts up against our instinct and our pride and whatever else, uh, the excuses that we may have for not listening to what it says. And we might win that first time around. But as we listen to these words over and over and focus on them and meditate on them, they begin to form us and shape us more and more. This is why we fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't just look at him this one time and then move about with our daily life and, and get reoccupied with the rest of our life. No, we, we turn our gaze to Christ and just stay gazing at him. Because when we have that extended time face-to-face -face with God, then he begins to shape us in his image. Then we begin to reflect him more and more accurately. Rather than just a, oh, I saw this picture once. Let me see if I can draw it from memory. No, as we face-to-face -face gaze at Christ, we are shaped by his presence, shaped by the revelation of who he is into his image and likeness so that we can more faithfully reflect him to those who are around us, so that we can mirror the obedience of the star, so that we can shine as children of the light through our Lord Jesus Christ, just as St. Leo the Great told us in our readings today. If you're still looking for a New Year's resolution, here's one for you. Start reading the Liturgy of the Hours. Start at least with the Office of Readings every day. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Get extra segments each week as well. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.